welcome back to Tango Banter. I am Elisaveta and I have a question for you. Would you like to be a guest on the Tango Banter? I know you've been thinking about it. Well, I am in the process of lining up some interviews with dancers. I invite you to submit an application on my website at imsotango.com slash banter. You can also find that link in the show notes below. Fill out the brief questionnaire and tell me a little bit about yourself and perhaps the stars will align and you'll find yourself on this very show. I would love to connect with you, so take advantage of this. I would love to have you to banter with. Now, today's banter uh, has been on my mind for some time, and uh, it's all about the most common problems that I experience leaders having. So this week's episode is going to be dedicated to leaders, and next week's episode is going to be dedicated to followers. So don't, don't think that I'm just singling out the leaders, I think both groups have things to pay attention to. And I'm just starting uh, this week with chatting about what are some of the most common problems that I feel that leaders might not be aware of that are causing some tension that might be preventing you from getting the dances that you want. Now, this list has been in the making for some time and it's based on a couple of sources. One of them is my own experience uh, on the dance floor for the past decade and more. And then also getting feedback from other women and other followers who've been sharing some of their experiences. So some of these things will be pretty uh, recognizable to you. You'll, you'll, recognize the challenges uh, that we've been sort of dealing with in the Tango world for a long time. And then others might be sort of new to you. So I invite you to uh, reflect on your own dance if you're a leader and see if any of these things uh, can be remedied for you or if you find yourself uh, thinking that you have a, a better approach to some of these things, you have a better practice, um, different tips that you might wanna share with other leaders, go ahead and message me because I want to create a list of suggestions uh, and practical tools that all leaders can take advantage of to make their dance experience better. So the Top 10 list consists of two categories. One is going to be more that has to do with body presentation and hygiene. And then the other category is going to be dealing with more of the technical aspects of the dance. So I'm going to lead in with the number one issue that followers complain about. And uh, no matter how many times I ask this question, and I've asked this question recently in my private Facebook group, which by the way, if you're not a member, please join, would love to have you there. Uh, so there was a questionnaire that I did, like what are, of all the things that you know we encounter on the dance floor, what are some of the things that uh, really bother us? And at number one, 
was body odor. Okay, body odor is a consistent issue, of course, especially if there are many hours of dancing, like at a marathon or a festival. And I've encountered a wide variety of <laughs> issues with body odor. And um, in general, the amount of sweat uh, can really make somebody decide not to dance with you. Now, sometimes, you know, everybody's a little different and sometimes the amount of sweat does not equal body odor. Some people sort of get away with being sweaty, but not smelly. Other times they kind of go together. And then other times it's body odor without sweat. Now there are different reasons why body odor is created in the body. Uh, and some of them are diet and perhaps uh, lack of hydration can contribute to uh, body odor. Also, one that you might not be thinking about is fabrics. I've noticed that there are times that I'll wear synthetic fabrics that smell fine and they seem to be okay. And maybe I wore that shirt yesterday and I, and I smell it a little bit before putting it on and it's like, oh, it's fine. But then when you start moving, sweating, all of a sudden that fabric releases quite a potent odor. And uh, so you might consider that when you're thinking about what you're going to wear. Now, there are different ways that certain men have learned to deal with being sweaty and to take care of their body odor or anticipate that. And here's where, gentlemen, I invite you to share with me your tips because even uh, last week at the festival when I was dancing with uh, one of the dancers there, I, after the first song, I said, oh my gosh, you smell so good. How do you do it? <laughs> what are your tricks? Uh, because yeah, it's a, sometimes it's an art form. Uh, so some men decide to actually wear suits and to me for a long time, I didn't understand like why they would do that because you get really hot. I mean, you're already hot, uh, just dancing, but if you're wearing a, a full suit, that will be even hotter. But apparently I was told some men to choose to wear a suit because it kind of uh, contains everything, contains the sweat and the odor. So that's a strategy however be mindful of how many times you wear that suit because if you wear it one time too many then it will do the opposite it will actually create uh, more odor and as a follower uh, or when i dance as a follower i actually have a strategy to fish for those leaders that i want to dance with that typically sweat a lot to get them early in the night and to avoid them when it gets a little bit later. So that's a real thing. Um, another suggestion I might have is to bring a change of shirt. So I've known leaders who bring one or two different shirts with them to change throughout the night. That really helps. And of course, taking a shower before going to the Malanga wearing deodorant, uh, those things are, are really key when it comes to dancing in a social environment. So uh, 
even if you think that your sweat doesn't smell and your body odor is okay, I think it's a good idea to sometimes just ask. You know, you might not have to ask another follower, but you know, you have your buddies there, you're hanging out, and just be like, hey, dude, do, am I smelling? Am I okay? And you know, somebody that would give you honest feedback, I think, would be really useful uh, because there are so many times that I hear dancers uh, say that they're not going to dance with somebody because they're just too sweaty. And I've had experiences that I've danced with dancers who are so sweaty, their, their shirt is completely soaked to the point where there's dripping off the shirt, like that sweaty. And uh, early on, pre-COVID even, I think I was more okay with it, but I've noticed for everyone, including myself, that post-COVID, I'm a little bit more sensitive to the sweat. And for me, with my hair, if I'm pressing my head to someone who's really sweaty, part of the time that I'm dancing with them, I'm thinking about how my hair is gonna be all flat on one side. And so <laughs> it sort of becomes part of my dance experience. And so if you'd like to make it easier on the followers, just have that consideration. Another um, thing that I've noticed some leaders do is they have a handkerchief that they use after every song uh, to sort of wipe off the excess. And that really helps uh, as well. So I think handkerchiefs just need to come back into fashion in general. And uh, I think women have also issues with sweat, maybe not as much, but I'll talk about followers next week, so I'm not going to go into it too much, but uh, just uh, uh, to start us off, sweating is probably the number one body concern that we deal with as dancers. Now, the second one I think that is a close second is bad breath, and it's a really tricky one to deal with because you might really want to dance with somebody but if you're really sensitive to odor like I am, sometimes it's just a deal breaker. Now, having gone to Buenos Aires several times, I've been told and I experienced this firsthand that in Buenos Aires, it is uh, epic how bad the breath can be with uh, certain leaders. And it's just a consistent chronic condition. And, it, you know, it can get really, really bad to the point that it makes you sort of nauseous a little bit. Now, bad breath, a lot of times, is just a matter of not being hydrated enough. Um, I didn't know this for a long time, but uh, later I sort of learned that as long as you're drinking water throughout the night, that a lot of times helps. Brushing your teeth before going out to dance. Being mindful of what you eat. Uh, this one is <laughs> sort of interesting because sometimes you you go to a restaurant, let's say you go to a Thai restaurant or a Chinese restaurant and you're, you know, you're eating and you're, you're not really aware that there's something that's like a garlicky flavor or something. And, and then you leave and, you know, you think everything's okay, but not only does your breath smell uh, like garlic and over time it gets worse, but then you actually might smell in your clothes, which is uh, a very common thing with some people who really love cooking or they really love going out and eating at very fragrant restaurants. So just being mindful of that, uh, I think, is is um, 
is going to be really helpful. Also, of course, using mints or gum or my favorite for a long time was the Listerine strips that kind of melt in your mouth uh, or like a spray, like a peppermint spray. And uh, in general, <laughs> I would say if somebody offers you a mint, take it. Because <laughs> I even recently talked to someone who was like, oh, I was dancing with this guy and he had such bad breath. So I offered him a mint and he said, no, thanks. And I'm like, yeah, like, what do you do? Again, you can't really um, insist on that verbally when you're dancing. It, it feels very awkward. Uh, of course, if it's somebody I know, I will take the initiative and I will tell them. Now, one trick I've learned also, it's a little weird, but you you might try it, is you can actually like lick your hand and, and then smell it. So it's just like a little lick and then you smell in your hand and that gives you like a, a good, <laughs> a good uh, sense of what your breath smells like. So typically my my go-to is always just keep drinking water uh honestly that a lot of times takes care of it and you know brushing your teeth before going uh to the malanga that i think is is a good strategy now uh this next one is sort of the opposite uh of the bo situation and that is too much cologne okay too much cologne now i'm a huge fan of cologne i really love a good smelling cologne. But I think the problem uh, happens is when you put the cologne right before going into the malanga. So as you're parking, parking your car, you spritz some cologne right at your neck and then you walk in. Depending on the brand of the cologne and the potency of it, it can be just too much too soon. And so my recommendation is to put the cologne on a little bit uh, you know, before you go to the Malanga, like before you go into your car. So there's a little bit of time for the cologne to sort of waft and, and settle. Uh, the other thing is to put the cologne instead of right on your neck to spritz it above your head. That seems to sort of uh, make it a little bit more ambient and not so acute right at the neck. Uh, I think that's a, that's a good strategy. Now, of course, there's also uh, taste in terms of what colognes people like. And I know that certain followers, certain people are very sensitive to smells and they don't like cologne at all. So it's sort of times a deal breaker no matter what with certain people. But I am a huge fan of really nice cologne. And uh, in fact, I, I want to do sort of a... Uh, a survey of men's colognes and, and what kinds of colognes they use because when it's a really nice cologne it, it really adds to the experience and when uh, it's applied correctly and you already are showered and you don't have a lot of uh, body odor built up it actually helps you stay smelling fresh and even if you get sweaty um, it doesn't quite have the same impact uh, if uh, you, you're not wearing it. So the smell of the body odor doesn't necessarily um, become so prominent. So good cologne is good, but just being aware of when you're putting it on, whether you're putting it on a right before the malanga, I would suggest you know waiting uh, a little more 
before going out dancing. So doing it maybe an hour ahead of time is, is a good strategy. Now, this next one is a little bit of an odd one, but it doesn't happen very much, but I, I'm surprised by how many women have said this to me. So I decided to bring it up and that is breathing with your mouth open. Go figure. <laughs> but apparently this is really uncomfortable for many women. It, uh, a lot of times they say it's like breathing into the ear and it just feels sort of invasive and distracting because sometimes it's very loud. So breathing with your mouth open, I would suggest is a no-no. <laughs> I recommend not doing that no matter what. And you might not even know that you're doing it. You might not be aware of it. So just paying attention uh, for those of you who are kind of not sure whether you do it or not, next time you're dancing, kind of check in with yourself and, and see what your mouth is doing. And uh, if you do tend to, if you know that that's something that you do, uh, then perhaps do it less, especially when you're, when you're dancing with somebody who's right at your height and your mouth is kind of in their ear. So I recommend uh, refraining from, from dancing with your mouth open. Okay, and then um, this last one that's more of like a, a body issue and you know kind of crosses over to some other areas, and that is drunkenness. Now, I, I see that uh, there are certain dancers who really love drinking when they dance and they kind of go into the malanga and they just start drinking. And sometimes it does not affect their dance, but other times it does. And I have found myself again, similar with uh, the sweat and BO uh, issue. I find that certain dancers that I know they like to drink, I like to catch them at the beginning of the night because when they get drunk, it just kind of gets a little sloppy. And it's not that I don't enjoy it. Like I recently danced with a dancer who obviously was very inebriated. We had a great time, it was a great tanda. There's just something about it that's sort of like not present or not all the way embodied in the dance. Uh, so there's a little bit more stumbling, a little bit kind of more mistakes and I find that I have to uh, sort of compensate for the for the lack of technique once the inebriation is there. So pay attention to your own you know patterns and once again if you don't know whether you drinking affects your dancing this is one thing that I would say is good to ask around those people that you dance with a lot, maybe they're friends of yours that you have a friendship ongoing for a number of years, you might feel comfortable asking them and saying, you know, does, does my drinking, does this affect, you know, the way I dance, do you feel a difference? And with all of these things, you know, I, I'm gonna come back to this again. Um, how do you know? How do you know that you have these problems? It's it's really a tricky situation because unless somebody tells you, you're not going to know and nobody's going to tell you at the Malanga. So you kind of have to seek out that feedback and I'll make some suggestions as to how 
you can uh, do that at the end of the episode. So I'm just going to go ahead and move on to our next item. And that is uh, now we're going to be dealing with more of like the technical aspects of the dance and things that people complain about. Um, Again, the issues that I'm going to cover are they're not new. This is something that is ongoing. And I have noticed that these are uh, issues that every community deals with, whether it's in Buenos Aires or in LA or in Texas. Like it's just sort of a global issue. And that is um, misunderstanding of musicality. That's one of the top reasons why somebody might decide not to dance with another dancer and especially a leader. So for me, it's a big one. Now, the conundrum is that everybody I talk to agrees that it's an issue and nobody thinks that it's them. (laughs) So I might talk to a dancer that I believe does not have a proper understanding of musicality and they're going to say, yes, It's such an issue with them, all those leaders who don't know what musicality is. So it's sort of a a strange uh, conundrum to deal with because, you know, I want to say, well, like, you're one of them. Like, you don't know. You're not really interpreting the music um, the way it should be. Now, I guess... There is a subjectivity there because I'm just one person and maybe my understanding of the music is different, perhaps. Uh, But still, I think um, most dancers, most leaders end up getting too caught up with learning vocabulary and learning patterns and cool moves rather than thinking about the music. And so the the musicality piece a lot of times is missing. And one one symptom that you can even self-assess, you can perhaps even see in your own dance the next time you dance, just observe, is are there pauses in your dance? Are there pauses? Do you ever pause? Because to me, that's actually the main thing that's lacking. The song might undulate, it might slow down or speed up, or there might be some sort of a break in the melody or an accent. And the dancer seems to just keep going and plow through and not stop, not slow down, not really do anything different. They're just sort of going on the beat and that's it. And it just keeps going on and on. So it just feels to me like a run on sentence. It feels like there's no delineation between phrasing, between sentences. So uh, tango is a language, right? And as a language, it's a mode of communication. And what is it that we're communicating? Well, we are translating, we are depicting the structure and the unique um, flavor of the song, right? The unique flavor of the orchestra. And so if you are a dancer who's never really thought in those terms, that you just sort of like listen to the beat and you kind of go with the beat and that's all you're listening to. And if, um, 
you know, ideas about distinguishing the melody line from the bass line, uh, the bridges from the phrases. If those concepts are foreign to you as you're hearing them now, it's a good indication that your musicality uh, prowess could be developed further. And I guarantee that if you spend some time, and that doesn't require a lot of time, it's just sort of a, a reframing of how you think about the dance, and it actually makes the dance a lot simpler and a lot more enjoyable. You get away with doing a lot less and getting a lot more impact because just the possibility of pausing and waiting and paying attention to a phrase rather than continuing doing movement will make the followers a lot happier and they'll want to dance with you more. So again, you can sort of use this suggestion and assess your own dance. And if you still don't know, this is a good opportunity to seek professional advice, uh, work with some teachers, ask them to give you feedback specifically on your musicality. Uh, and uh, this is mostly what I work on with people. So um, it's not a difficult thing to teach once you understand what it is that you're trying to get. But it's very difficult to convey uh, the complaint, the feedback in a Malanga setting. Nobody's ever going to confront you and tell you that you're not dancing on the music. And I, it's one of the biggest experiences, one of the most common experiences for me is to, you know, dance with somebody who thinks that they really have great musicality. And I'm just like kind of lost and wondering how did they ever develop that opinion? It's very prominent. And it's, again, I reiterate, it's prominent in Buenos Aires, the same way it's prominent everywhere else. I think there's this opinion that just because somebody really knows the culture and they come from it, like in Buenos Aires, that automatically they're more musical. That is not the case. Not everybody's automatically more musical because uh, you don't know what you don't know. If you're not a musician, if you have not spent time dancing other dance forms where you were taught how to phrase and how to listen to music, it's not necessarily uh, a guarantee that you're gonna be able to do that in tango. So I've gone to Buenos Aires several times and was actually pretty surprised by how unmusical certain milangueros are who've been dancing for decades and decades and they have that quality of just plowing through no matter what, just keep going on that beat, ocho cortado after ocho cortado, no pausing, no slowing down. Uh, it's actually quite common. So uh, if you don't know, the status of your musicality uh, skills, I would definitely seek feedback from, from someone. Now, this next piece connects because when you are not necessarily focusing on the music, this next piece is too much movement, too many patterns, too much ambition. And uh, this is a very common issue I think it's probably my least, my least desirable dance uh, is with someone who is just going with pattern after pattern. It's like they have a checklist in their mind 
and they're going gancho cicada boleo back cicada and i fairly recently a few months ago danced with a new dancer to me and uh, he was of that sort and he was just doing one pattern after another and after the first song he looked at me and he said wow you can follow anything and in my mind i was like that's that's what you're after that's all you want you just want somebody to be able to follow you that's the source of your excitement now i understand that when you first get into tango when you learn new moves there it's very exciting and you want to do it right but ultimately that is not why people dance tango that is not why followers choose certain leaders 100% of the time all of the followers will tell you that they'll take musicality over fancy moves any day right they'll say that they would rather walk with someone musically and do very simple steps than choose somebody who has a lot of fireworks under their belt so if you have been sort of riding that momentum of of learning more and more patterns without consideration for music and also if if you kind of tend to be in a practice mode at the malonga this is something i feel that happens that leaders think that they are hiding it they think that we might not feel it but there's a definite difference in how the dance feels between when the dancer's really dancing when we're really with the music versus when somebody's practicing it's a it's a completely different experience it's very tactile it's very physical so whenever you are at the malonga and you're in that state of mind of like what was that move okay i go with the right foot here left foot there and you're sort of in that mindset that translates and the follower will not feel connected with you now sometimes you do that because you're nervous right maybe you're new and you are afraid that the follower will be bored that's a very common feeling uh, so you're trying to make it more interesting you're actually trying to take care of the follower but i tell you it's a turn off it really is because what the follower wants is for you to just dance right for you to be connected to the music for you not to be ahead of yourself and trying to plan what you're going to do but just to be present which is a much more vulnerable place to be it's very scary uh but even though it might not be as perfect as you know refined and clean as you might want it to be the follower will enjoy it more 100% of the time i tell you and it's a phenomenon that i will most of the time prefer dancing with a le- less experienced dancer uh maybe a beginner who can have that quality of presence and just being there with me without an agenda versus somebody who is just super advanced and is doing all sorts of movements all around <laughs> and it's like a non-stop roller coaster ride so too much movement uh and practicing on the dance floor uh is a huge turnoff related to that is line of dance line of dance obeying the line of dance is the number one priority you have as a leader on the social dance floor 
And if you as a leader tend to bump into other people, um, you experience your follower bumping into other people or furniture, and that is something that happens consistently, it's a good sign that you need to work on your uh, navigation skills. Because once again, you're not alone in the room, you're with other dancers. And one of the markers of somebody who is a beginner dancer versus somebody who's mature and seasoned is the awareness that you are part of a whole. You are part of this multi-coupled puzzle on the dance floor, part of this beehive that's circling around for hours at a time. And it's a group effort. It's a team effort. You're not an island just by yourself. And your dance is not more important than other dancers. It's not a performance. You are there not to show off, although, you know, sometimes it feels fun to sort of present yourself and be visible and other people seeing you. But again, it's a marker of a more mature seasoned dancer when you can take a step back and put away that ambition of being seen and admired by other people and serve, serve the, the well-being of the whole dance floor, all of the people who are there. It's like you're, you're not only taking care of yourself and your partner, you're taking care of the people around you. And so this is something that I still work on. And I, I tell you, I'm not the best at it as a leader. I still tend to sometimes lose my way in the line of dance. I end up in the middle or I'll end up bumping into something. So it is a consistent practice, even for somebody who's been dancing as long as I have. It's not something that you just like, okay, got it, you know, moving on. So line of dance, if I see a dancer who is not obeying the line of dance, is running into people or kicking furniture, that is a huge turnoff. And I definitely choose not to dance with them. I'll, I'll say this though, sometimes it's very hard to follow the line of dance when the space is shaped in a weird way. And we have a number of venues like that in Los Angeles, and I'm sure uh, you have them in your communities where it's like, it's not quite a rectangle, it's not quite a circle, there's some sort of weird, you know, poles in the, in the middle of the dance floor, there's furniture. So it is harder sometimes. So those of you who are sort of paranoid that, oh my God, I bumped into someone, uh, you know, it, it happens. I think in an average night, if you bump in maybe two or three times, you know, it's acceptable. We're all human. We're not perfect. But if it's consistent where every tanda you bump into someone, that's a, a, a good point of reflection to, to think like, okay, I need to really hone down my skills of staying in the line of dance, which again, to stay in the line of dance, you've got to let go of all those patterns and all those fancy moves because those fancy moves don't belong on the social dance floor a lot of times. They belong on the stage as a performance. And I think that's something that we forget a lot of times. Now, um, I got just a couple more for you. Uh, the next one is something that I uh, work on a lot with people and it always is surprising to my clients how big of a difference this makes for them physically 
and for their experience at the Malanga, and that is bad posture, okay? It is chronic, it's consistent, it exists everywhere, Buenos Aires and everywhere else. It's not a given that just because you're a tango dancer that you have good posture. Most of the time, if you're coming into tango without prior experience of different a different form of movement, such as yoga or Tai Chi or in another dance form, you just never had that instruction or built an awareness of your posture, then it's very likely that your posture is suffering. And one of the biggest pieces of this is the head forward. Head going forward just a little bit will cause a huge amount of issues for your partner. So posture, um, I always is something that I look at. Uh, one of the first things I look at when I look on the dance floor and I'm assessing who I want to dance with, posture is right there at the top with line of dance. So if you're a dancer who tends to lose balance and you feel like you're on your tippy toes a lot, you feel like the follower can pull you off axis very easily. You also um, feel a lot of tension in your lower back or your upper back. If any of those things are happening, look at your posture. Okay, so that's a really big one and really essential because ultimately not only is it uh, preventing you from having more dances because there are dancers who will just say no to that like myself, because it makes it very uncomfortable. It makes my body very uncomfortable. I also don't like when the head is pressing into my head very hard and we have this reflex automatically. If there's contact between the heads, there's a tendency to push into it. And that's one of the, the worst things you can do, I think, posturally. It makes it very tense and very difficult for your partner. So I would suggest depending on the height of your partner, your default should be that the heads are not touching. Like that's the starting point. If the heads touch, it's just sort of like, it's just there, but you're not seeking to touch heads. And in fact, you're seeking the opposite. And a lot of times that will be my strategy. If I dance with somebody whose head is really pushing into mine, I try to sort of disconnect and, and sort of pull back. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and the, their head comes forward even more. So really watch that one. That's, that's, that's a big one. Okay, so I'm, I'm down to my last one and this one's a little bit more mm, subjective, I guess. And, but it's, I've had enough conversations about this with other women who kind of point to the same type of thing uh, that I feel like it's good to bring up. And that is, in general, attitude. Sometimes um, there's an attitude that leaders have that they know best, that they're the ones who know what it's all about and they need to educate the follower. I've seen leaders uh, teach followers on the social dance floor or correct them or give them some sort of feedback or um, just have this uh, general um, air of superiority, that they have this experience and they know everything and you should wanna dance with them just because they're so amazing. 
that attitude is a huge turnoff. And for me, it actually betrays a lot of insecurity. So if you tend to sort of rely on that sort of attitude to make yourself sort of bolster your confidence and um, in that way get more dances because you you think that by acting more superior you're going to score more dances. You might score dances with certain people, but it actually isolates you from a lot of other people such as myself. Because I, when I feel that sort of attitude, uh, it immediately repulses me. And I don't want to be around that. <laughs> and um, I remember the last time I danced with somebody like that. I actually capaceoed them. And uh, this person just, you know, they didn't talk to me between tandas. They barely make any, made any contact. They didn't ask my name. They were just sort of had this air of like they're such big deal and I am lucky to be dancing with them and obviously I never dance with them again and nowadays if I feel even an iota of that I just sort of push that away so now how do you know if these issues are something that you need to deal with of course It's hard to self-assess a lot of times, so you need some feedback. And as I said, I'm going to make some suggestions as to how you can get that feedback in a polite and cordial way. So one is to ask a professional. Go to a lesson, sign up with a teacher and ask them specific questions, perhaps about your musicality, about your posture, your technique, uh, and get that feedback directly from them. Another way that's a little bit more novel uh, that I recently learned about uh, from another dancer who said that they got a message on Facebook from someone who asked them why they were rejecting their capaceo. And that uh, gave the opportunity to this uh, dancer to give them some feedback and uh, suggest some things for them to do. So I think that it's a pretty good approach that if there is a particular dancer that you're after and they're not responding to your capaceo, then you might send them a message and politely ask them what it is that is uh, perhaps missing in your approach that uh, they could give you feedback on. Now, of course, that uh, requires a lot of vulnerability on everybody's part. And uh, you have to proceed with an open mind. And you might not like what you hear. Maybe it won't be satisfying, uh, the feedback that you do get. However, I do recommend to put yourself out on the limb because it just might be very useful. And it just might turn things around for you and uh, give you a, a new perspective on your dance and maybe open up the possibility of dancing more with dancers that you really want. So send them a Facebook message or an Instagram message. What you want to do is confront them face-to-face at the Malanga or after. I think that's too confrontational and uh, makes it a little bit uncomfortable and it's unlikely that they're going to be honest with you. So I would... uh, recommend doing it off-site, away from the dance floor, 
and doing it in a way that gives the other person the opportunity to share or not share, respond or not respond. Um, but it's a good exercise, uh, I think, to open yourself up for some critique and feedback. And ultimately, we all need these avenues for communication off the dance floor. So this is just one of the novel ways that I feel could be useful for us dancers to employ. So that's my list. That's my list of uh, most common issues that I feel are present in our community with the leaders. There might be some things I haven't mentioned. And if you want to send me a message and uh, uh, send me some of your insights as to what else could be added to the list, please reach out to me. And also reach out to me if you have some more tips, especially when we're dealing with the more body presentation stuff. If you know of different hacks for making yourself fresher, stay fresher longer, I would appreciate it because I'd like to make a list uh, that I can share with dancers. And uh, yeah, you can reach me at I'm So Tango on social media or email me at connect at I'mSoTango.com. Don't forget, if you want to be a guest on this show, you can reach out to me. You can fill out that questionnaire uh, at I'mSoTango.com slash banter and would love to connect with you and maybe have you on the show. So hope you found this episode helpful and we'll banter on next week talking about the most common issues that I observe with followers. Until then, have a great week. Ciao. Thank you.